It is well, it is, it is well with my soul. You give me peace, peace like a river. You're always providing when I'm not at ease. You know what I need. You're there holding my hand. What's up, Jesus people? It's Ursula. Hey, 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 and AJ. Welcome to the One Lost Sheep Podcast. Merry almost Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, guys. In today's episode, we will look at the mountain of evidence surrounding the Bible that make it the most unique and reliable text on earth. AJ, this is my favorite kind of episode. Facts on facts on facts. (laughs) It really is. We love this stuff. We love evidence. I do. I love evidence. We want to draw people in. Well, listen, you know, we base everything on our podcast on the Bible. And, you know, almost I we have to take a step back and and show why do we trust that this is the verifiable word of God? You know, let's look together. Why do we think it's reliable? Why is it reliable? Yeah. Can I can I start by telling you about a study I found? Yeah. So I my sister actually sent me it was an Instagram post and I found where the study came from. Okay. And it's actually really cool. So the Center of Bible Engagement, they compiled research from, I don't know, some doctors, um, and they found scientific evidence of the effects of reading the Bible. Okay. These are going to blow your mind. This is crazy. Really? Yeah, you're going to like this. We always talk about like why we notice a difference, but we just, we can't ever like quantify it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I know I can relate the changes back to the Bible, but it's like, you can't, it's hard to, you know, prove that. Yeah. I feel like God is our center of gravity and the Bible's like pulling us. Oh, that's and such a cool I just I thing probably to read say. that somewhere. I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't come from me. But um I do. I feel like the Bible like pulls us. We don't even know it. Like we don't know gravity's working, which just is. We don't think about it. Uh-huh. I feel like you don't realize it until you read the Bible. Well, you're like God's pulling us to him. I actually just posted something on Instagram um like tips on how to uh, talk about God to children. And one of the, during that research for that little post, I did read that we are all born with like an innate sense of God's reality. So in that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, it is technically pulling us, right? Oh, it's so good. I Can I do it? Let me dive in. <laughs> okay. So when you read the Bible one to two times a week, basically there's like little to no effect. And that actually includes if you're going to church once a week and they're reading, you know, scripture that includes that in there. So some people just aren't reading at all and they're just listening to their pastor. Um, But, and then three times a week, again, little to no effect, which is kind of (laughs) sad, but um, four times plus it actually decreases loneliness by 30%, anger by 32%, bitterness by 40%, alcoholism at 57 or decreases 57%. Shut up. Nope. It gets better. Just wait. Sex outside of the marriage decreases 68%. Feeling of spiritual stagnant stagnant (laughs) is decreases 60%. And then watching pornography decreases 61%. Now here's where it gets really crazy. What What? increases. So sharing (sighs) your faith increases 200%. Wow. Isn't that nuts? And then um, discipling others increases 230%. Isn't that so cool? This is crazy stuff. Did you you say how many people were? Oh, um, you know what? It was a study of 40,000 people ages eight. Yeah, I didn't say that. You're right. It was a study of 40,000 people ages eight to 80. So there's like 
huge age gap. You know, I honestly, I'm shocked. I thought you were going to say like a thousand people. No, you know, like this is a people. genuine study. Like this absolutely. Is, wow, that is crazy. Oh I know God. that's so. That's four times plus a week. Just pick up your Bible and read it. I mean, you have to. We talk about this all the time. You have to exercise your faith. Oh, yes, just you like know? yes, just just like running or exercising for real. It gets you stronger. Right. You don't see a difference if you're running once a week. Yep. Like you just said, church once a week. You know, and it makes sense because, like, let's say even like a friendship. Right. You have to devote time and energy to something for it to flourish right it's it's not going to happen if you're just doing it once a week so that makes sense as well I know when did you start reading the bible a long time ago (laughs) you know uh, not (laughs) regularly I wasn't consistent about it but I do remember years ago a client actually even brought me, it was like a pamphlet on how to read your Bible in a year. And then something happened to it. So then I looked it up online and I was going off this thing online and I'd pick it up and put it down and it would get real hard. And I'd be like, Oh my gosh, this is draining. Some of it's so boring. <laughs> and then, you know, it, it is, some of it is. And then, you know, you put it back down, but consistently I would say like the last few years. Yeah. But I started reading the Bible a, a while ago. Yeah. I got it. I, I would pick it up all the time. You're still not reading it. Let's be no. <laughs> <laughs> When did you start? Um, not really. Well, I started reading it every single day about two years ago and almost immediately saw effects, almost yeah. immediately changed me as a person. But in the very beginning, like I know I, I told you I accepted Christ at 25, but in the very beginning, like I wasn't reading the Bible because I was just in a place where I needed facts. Like I needed the apologetics end of it. Yeah, for sure. Why? So what happened was I was 20, 25 and I was in a serious relationship with somebody that wasn't of my same faith. And, um, and we had, we had been dating for a while and, and we just decided we'll make it work. You know, a lot of people decide that and it works for a lot of people and, and then avoid it. Yeah, just exactly. And so, and I wasn't really solid in my faith at that time. Like I was raised Catholic and um, I believed in Jesus, but it's like, I, I just personally believe there is a very big difference with um, inheriting your religion and then choosing your religion. And For so sure. at that point I hadn't yet chose my religion. I just had inherited it. So I, I didn't feel as solidly on my faith as I should have been. And so when he said he wanted me to convert because it was time for us to like take the next steps in our relationship and, and get engaged, Uh, He said he wanted me to convert before that happened. And I decided that I would convert. And so I started studying this other faith and I read everything I could, everything I could. And I, I really started to think like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to convert. And what happened was I went to bed one night and I had the worst dream I've ever had in my entire life. I still remember it vividly. I was in a dark room. And it was the first time also that my dream had like a stench to it and a temperature to it. I was freezing in this dungeon um, and it smelled like rot and decay. It smelled like dungeon, like wet. I don't know. I can't explain. It was just disgusting. It was putrid. Musty. Yes. Yes. Musty. (laughs) And in the middle of the room, there was this hole and there was these green gases just billowing out of the hole. And I knew that it was like the gas that smelled. Like I knew the smell was coming from there. And I was being pushed towards this hole and pushed and I knew it was hell and I knew I was going there. And then all of a sudden I fell in. And as I'm falling, I see like bodies of decayed people falling around me. And like they're, they're in various forms of decay. Like one has an eyeball hanging out. One has an arm missing. That is scary. And I, and I, and I landed, I like landed like, and as soon as I 
landed, I shot up and I was drenched in sweat, just drenched. Like my, everything was dripping. I was, I had also been crying in my dream. My face was wet. And I heard God say to me, this is what's going to happen if you continue down this path. And, you know, that was three in the morning. I didn't go back to sleep because I, I was feel like, my face has goosebumps. <laughs> I didn't go back to sleep and I stayed up till about six and I, and I called him and I ended the relationship. Wow. Good for you. You know, I didn't know who God was at that point. Like I didn't know who God was. I just knew he wasn't the God of, of this other faith. Like I just knew he wasn't that, but I was still determined to find who he was. And that's why at that time I just devoted my life to, to, to figuring out the truth. And at that time, I didn't think reading the Bible would bring me to the truth because I thought I didn't know the facts that we're going to present yeah. today, right? Like I didn't know that, um, and but I uncovered them in my research, and that's why, you know, I was such a proponent of like learning the defense for faith. That is so, knowing you for so long, I can't imagine that version of you, <laughs> like not being so sure about God. Gosh, yeah, I guess I didn't think. Yeah, now it's, you're in deep now. <laughs> <laughs> now it's my identity, but before it was not. You're right. Yeah. That's nuts. All right. Well, let's share it. Oh my gosh. Guys. Let's give what we know to other people yes. now. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Here's our gift, guys. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> well, the reliability of it. Gift. <laughs> the actual gift is from God, but we're just here to tell you the facts. All right. Okay. So the first reason why the Bible is a reliable source of information, it has internal consistency. Okay, which might not seem like a big deal, but let's look at these facts. It was written over the course of 1,300 to 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages in multiple regions of the world. Yet, there is internal consistency all pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. (laughs) AJ, if you asked 40 people right now, to write their, who are alive at the same time, in the same place, and speak the same language, to write their views on God, what is wrong with the world, and how to fix it, do you think even two people would have the same answer? No, not a chance. (laughs) No, exactly. Like the fact that there is internal consistency, it really truly points to the fact that this is a divine piece of literature. Yeah. There is no other explanation. So how they find accuracy of manuscripts is with these three tests. So they have a bibliographic test, an internal test, and an external test. So the first one, the bibliographic test, is, is about the manuscript itself. And then the internal test is about the authors. And then the external test is more like outside confirmation to confirm it. So like cities, battles, politics, dates, buildings, okay. all, that, all that stuff. So with their findings for the manuscripts in the Bible, all three of these tests they use to see how reliable it is, and they all hold up. We base our knowledge of world history on writings where we only have a handful of manuscripts, sometimes only a couple hundred, you know, but there are over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament, making it the most reliably attested writing in all of history. Not nutty. It's nuts. Okay, so like if you, and then if you look at all of the manuscripts for the Old Testament and the New Testament together, okay, including Greek manuscripts, and the 5,000 New Testament manuscripts we talked about, and the Old Testament scrolls, we have over 66,286 verified manuscripts for the Bible. That is so crazy. <laughs> you know, they, that doesn't even include just ones that were destroyed. 
No, it doesn't. Right. Exactly. Of course not. In comparison, the next book of antiquity that we have the most manuscripts for is Homer's Iliad. How many? <laughs> 1900. Shut up. Yes. <laughs> it goes from 66,286 to 1900. Done. <laughs> Sold enough evidence. You know, I also read that the Jewish scribes, they were they took extreme care of their manuscripts, so they were really meticulous. If they found one error at all, destroyed, gone. Wow, I did yeah. not know that. So the quality is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, they're very careful in preserving that, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, another reason that the Bible can be um, verifiably the Word of God is because of the historical accuracy. The Bible has been proven historically, geographically, and archaeologically accurate over and over. In fact, no archaeological discovery has ever disproven a Bible reference. None. None. And I've got some awesome examples. <laughs> <laughs> the, I was geeking out over these. I mean, I can't tell you how excited I was about these. I kept trying. To, I, was, I was like, should I call her? Should I call her and tell her? Should I just call her? But I like these reactions live. I know. I do like that we do it so we can see each other. Like, I don't share with you. You don't share with me. But sometimes I'm like, I wish I would know. <laughs> I know. Just give I know. Me a little I'm, bit. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, so one of these discoveries was that in 1960s, there was an inscription located or found bearing the name of Pilate, which was the earliest known reference to his name outside of the New Testament. Do you want to say who Pilate is real quick? Oh, yeah, sure. Pilate was the Roman governor in charge during the time of Jesus' execution. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, in 1990, an urn was found with the bones and the inscription of Caiaphas, who was the high priest who pushed for Jesus' execution. I thought that was really cool. That's crazy. In 1993, excavators at Tel Da uncovered an inscription dating to 733 BC, meaning House of David, confirming that David, King David. No, see, I like that one. <laughs> You love King David. In 2018, the oldest known depiction of Jesus was found in the Holy Land. It was painted, it was found among some church ruins. It was painted on the ceiling and it's been dated over 1,500 years old. Did you find it? Do you have the picture? No, I looked. I couldn't find it. I will, I will keep looking though. If I find it, it's going to be on our Instagram page, guys. I hope you find it. I want to see Follow it. Follow us. <laughs> <laughs> so a 2,000-year-old skeleton was also found in 2018 near Venice and it was evident from like the body or like the skeletal remains that it had been executed with the holes in the bones. And so, which, you know, proves that executions were real. Wow. But the best one I found, this is going to blow your mind. Let's go. <laughs> in 2021, using the Bible as a guide, archaeologists went to the present day um, historical city of Tal al-Hammam, which, which was like an, which is like an ancient walled city because they believed that's where, um, uh, Sodom, the biblical Sodom was located. Mm -hmm. Like Sodom and Gomorrah? Yes. Mean Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay. Yes. Uh, so just in case anyone doesn't know, Sodom and Gomorrah were two sister cities that were very sinful and God destroyed them. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so I learned something really cool. So archaeologists, so you know how you cut a tree and there's like all those layers in a tree? Yeah. And you can see how old it is? Mm -hmm. Well, our earth is like that too, and that's called stratigraphy. There's layers in our soil and you can kind of figure out what year. Uh, so science or archaeologists dug down to 1650 BC, which is when Sodom was believed to have been destroyed. What they found was a five foot layer of soot. Okay. Randomly okay. scattered in the soot, they found pieces of melted brick, 
melted metal, bones literally turned to dust and pottery with like this weird bubble effect on it. There is no fire or a volcano or natural disaster on earth that could get hot enough for these things to melt. Really? Mm-hmm. They even found a jar, which was identified by like a ceramic archaeologist as dating back to 1700 BC. Like right away, he's like, yeah, that's from seven. But it had this like green glassy glaze on it. What was it? Well, they didn't know because the technology to develop that wasn't around for at least 24 centuries after 1700 BC. So they took it to a lab in New Mexico and they discovered that it was the result of super, super high intense heat for a short amount of time that caused that effect. So they concluded that an asteroid hit the city. (laughs) They compared it to other asteroids that have hit our Earth before. And from the information we have about other asteroids, it would have had to have been at least 18,000 degrees Fahrenheit at its center when it hit. And the surrounding heat would have had to be 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit for bones to be turned to dust and for steel to melt. A house fire burns at 1,000 to 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's twice. Holy smokes. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what's really insane about that? Why? So in this story, I'm sure you know this, but in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it actually says that God rained down from the heavens fire and sulfur. Yes! Oh my gosh, isn't this nuts? It's crazy. That's really cool. Where did you find this information? What I think is even crazier is that we haven't heard this information. Mm -hmm. Why wasn't this like on the news? Like, oh, come on. Yeah, you did say 2021. Yeah, it was just two years ago. Yes, I know. Like That's kind of sad. That is so sad. Okay, another reason the Bible is a reliable... (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Sorry, do you still want to talk about how sad it is that we didn't hear about? (laughs) Yeah, I actually do. I think the rest of the episode should talk about how we don't hear this information. We need it. Go ahead. Eyewitness testimony. The Gospels were written years after Jesus died. They could have been very easily disputed, and they would have been very easily disputed if what they had been writing was inaccurate. So the authors of the Bible were close to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So just think about... Well, of the New Testament. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. (laughs) So the authors of the New Testament were all close to Jesus. And I always think about this. If I were to die and all of my closest friends were telling the same story of me, everybody would believe it. There wouldn't be even a question. No, yeah. Not even a question. Right. All of these people were close to him. These are reliable sources. Not to mention they all died for it. Right. And it's people close to them as well sharing the stories. It, as we discussed in our two-part episode, Hot Mess Heroes, the the, the people writing the New Testament, you know, the disciples and, you know, the, the other people writing the New Testament, they were often persecuted for what they were writing or martyred yeah. even. And they did it anyway. And they did it with like such passion you know like believe these words we are saying they can be true you can trust us can i quote something please do okay i actually have the book in front of me i saved this page so i'm just gonna shout them out here so these are just some of the things that the authors in the bible wrote in in different books but i'm just gonna shout them out here but one of them from peter we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our lord jesus christ another one we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us another one this report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account he speaks the truth so that you can also you also can believe so i just gave three little things or whatever but i'm just saying like in there they are preaching 
that this is true. Yeah, they're very emphatically trying to communicate. Like, you must believe me. This is absolutely the truth. I am about to die for this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. It's yeah. so true. That is enough for me. <laughs> All right, let's get back into it. Sorry. I keep sideswiping you. I'm like, side note, side note. <laughs> no, I'm just going to add to that. So Matthew and John were actual, the, so the books of Matthew and John, were dis, they were disciples. So actual disciples who walked with Jesus, who heard his words, wrote those two books. One Peter and two Peter. Peter was also a disciple. Those were written by a follower of Jesus. Mark and Luke and Paul were alive in Jesus' generation. I mean, not all those quotes were from Peter, actually. I just got them out of the book of More Than a Carpenter, which I highly recommend. I feel like we've said this so many times, but I have to keep going with it. It's so good. It's a very short book, but it will it's life-changing. E- I'll, post it on, I'll post yeah. it on our Instagram. Oh, it's so good. Thanks, Dad, for the book. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Whoever Dad is. <laughs> okay, fulfilled prophecy is another reason we can reliably trust the Bible. There are roughly 2,500 prophecies in the Bible and 2,000 have already happened with exact precision, including over 400 about a Messiah that are fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But this is something about the Bible that's unique only to the Bible and no other literature on earth. Yeah. No other literature on earth has predictive qualities. Okay, so let's go over some of these prophecies. Go ahead. Give them to me. In Isaiah 44, 28, there is a prediction about the coming reign of Persian king of the Persian king Cyrus, but that didn't happen uh, until 200 years later. In Ezekiel, he prophesied about the destruction of the city of Tyre, and that didn't happen exactly as he said until 300 years later. The fall of Babylon was foretold by Jeremiah. So Babylon was an ancient fortress city with huge walls around it. It was really hard to penetrate. And Jeremiah said in a very precise way, there will be devastation upon her waters. And what happened was when King Cyrus attacked them, what he did was he found a way to drain the river going through the walled city. And he entered with his troops under when the tides were low underneath the walls. Crazy. We okay. should do an entire episode just on fulfilled prophecies. <laughs> on the 2000 fulfilled prophecies. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a long episode, but it's fine. It's worth it. Do you guys have a few weeks? <laughs> okay. And then in Revelation eleven nine, it talks about, well, it talks about something that hasn't happened yet. It's a future prophecy, but it said that many, that all nations will be able to see something happening in real time. But Revelation was written in 90 AD. At that time, it took months and months and months to communicate something. Yeah. So, you know, for them to have that foresight, right? Like they, they wouldn't have had that foresight. And we already are at the time where everything is real time, obviously, with the onset of, of Internet. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and, you know, God tells us he prophecies like he he show he tells us he prophecies as a way to prove himself. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, he says, I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Yeah. <laughs> I was he, like, yeah. <laughs> he even addresses like if, you know, cause you know, there were people in the past that prophesied like Nostradamus, but in Deuteronomy 18, 21 through 22, it says that the difference between God's prophecy and unreliable prophecy is that God's are always accurate. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, we can't say that about anybody else. 
Yeah. You know, even when you like Nostradamus, right? A lot of people believe like they, they follow his books and stuff, but it's like he's never, ever gotten everything accurate and he's gotten close, you know, but we have to remember there are forces in this world that are not from God as well. Yeah. It, it's crazy to me because now that we're all in, we just want to see everybody else get there because we see these facts and it's blowing us away. And I don't know if people do or don't know all of these things, you know? I actually, a friend and I were talking about if we thought the Bible has been like tampered with. And I asked you about that and you're, you're hilarious. You're like, no, God would never let that happen. Well, I, I loved your reaction. Well, I, I, do, I do believe with my heart that this is the verifiable word of God. And so I think it's just a no brainer to, that God would protect it. Yeah. I just think that's something that a lot of people think like, oh, over the years, you know, it's been translated and words and blah, 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 and all those things. But here we have the proof that it hasn't been. Absolutely. Like this, this is the, this is the word that was passed down from our ancient, from the ancient disciples that followed Jesus. Yeah. Another thing that I think, you know, a lot of people get hung up on is like, well, which version of the Bible, you know, well, I have, I mean, I just, you know, over years collected or whatever, but I also like to have a Bible. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, you know, I like to have a Bible in my car. I have one in my purse. I went upstairs. I went downstairs. I went in the She basement. does. I can verify. Well, I just don't want to be always like, I, I'm lazy. <laughs> and just I just bought another one. I did. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, like this one's like a pocket Bible. Listen, yeah. I, <laughs> I need to, I'm lazy and I don't want to be like, if I want to be in the word, I don't want to run upstairs and go. In the world. <laughs> I want it to be next to me. Sometimes I only have a minute and you know, it's like that minute counts, but I have all different versions. You know, I have the ESV, the CSB, I have the NIV, I have the KJV, I have the Catholic Bible. The thing is that it doesn't matter. As long as the Bible the points... ABC did... <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Is that the version you're reading? <laughs> yep. I think you should throw that one out. <laughs> that one's been tampered with. Because <laughs> a lot of people say, well, which one? I, I can't... You know, you guys yeah. have so many books. I don't know which one you choose. Anyone that points to Jesus, the differences are so minor and never affect the actual outcome of what is trying to be said. Yeah. It's, it's just like saying bow instead of rainbow or rain. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're just either he instead of Lord. Th those, those small little words exactly. aren't changing the meaning they're of not, what's in there. They're not, you know, and, and in our episode, Lord, Loon and Liar, you know, we talked about Jesus as a person. We talked about why we do believe wholeheartedly he is the son of God. And so, you know, if your Bible is just pointing to him as the son of God, read that one, you know, yeah. and nobody is saying Jesus was not a real person. I have never heard that. I mean, no. Yeah. And if and I'm Lord, wrong, call me out, but I have never heard anyone say that. No. Jesus and is and not Lord, a real Loon and Liar, you know, we talked about how yeah. there is not a single historian today that believes that Jesus was fictional. Yeah. There's too much evidence. They, they believe he was absolutely a real person. What's up for contention yeah. is whether he was God. Absolutely. Science is not against God. It actually takes more. So Lee Strobel says, <laughs> why do you laugh when I say his name? Because you love it. There's like a few, <laughs> a few authors that I know you're going to in every episode. Go ahead. <laughs> he said that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. I can't understand people believing in the Big Bang and evolution more so than God. Yeah. Like my everything in me has always just been like, how can you believe that? Like that? That doesn't make any sense. Where did the where did the little dust come from or whatever? I can't get down with it. And this world was created for us. I mean, it's so apparent to me, you know, it's so apparent to me. Our universe was crafted with us in mind, everything, chemistry, biology, gravity, ev our DNA, everything is perfectly aligned for mm -hmm. us to exist 
the way we do in this world. Uh, you know, it, right, right. I know, I know. You and I, you feel <laughs> you me. You and I feel you. I get it. I used to think, oh, why not believe in God? Why not? Because if He's real, you're doomed if you didn't. You know. C.S. Lewis says, "Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither." Which is kind of what you just said, you know, like (laughs) I'd rather believe in God in the off chance, but at the same time, we don't have to on the off chance belief because there's more than enough evidence (laughs) to support that belief. You got to get jiggy with Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, this is the end of our first season. We will be back January 25th with season two and more mind blowing facts about our favorite person. We will see you in a couple weeks with a fun behind-the-scenes blooper episode. (laughs) Oh, no. Lots of long days in the studio. Just a warning, you won't get those brain cells back. And follow (laughs) us on social media. In the meantime, to stay up-to-date on news for your daily dose of faith, we are at Tolls Podcast on Instagram and Twitter and The One Lost Sheep on Facebook. Have a Merry Christmas. Yes, and before we go, we are leaving you with one final testimony for this year. And this is my friend Kelly, who just so honestly portrayed her trust in Jesus. So I was at this retreat a few years ago, and one of the things that was said was, if you really want to know what it looks like to trust Jesus, say yes to your husband as much as you can. And I I say this like with the, um, I don't know, with the most delicate expression, because I know how complicated and complex this is, but my heart needed to hear that because I had created this life um, for my family that like checked all of the boxes and that looked really good on paper, but was so empty on the inside. And I think I was just so like beholden to this idol of control. So like the thought of him saying that just felt like a dagger into my heart but I knew it was from the Lord. And so I come home and not, but a few weeks after my husband said, like, I think we should get a dog. (laughs) I was the most tidy, uptight person who had said for like nearly a decade, if you get a dog, I am 10% and you have to be 90. I mean, I had totally draw the lines. And so all I could think about was what this man had said on this retreat. And so I closed my eyes and said, yes. So he brings home Teddy and I have to just like, I'm so like, God is just so good. And all of our stories are so different. And yes, there is so much hard stuff that we all have to walk through. But when I think about like the gentleness of God and the ways that he has tried to shepherd me um, and to redirect my focus and to take all of this, you know, these idols out of my hands. Like he has done it in the kindest ways because we get this dog and <laughs> no one loves this dog more than me. And what I've also learned about animals for anyone who's like not an animal person, unlike people who can kind of be like nice to your face, like animals are are exactly what they are. And so when they're like loving you in that moment, they are really loving you. And that sincerity was so um, healing. And um, in so many ways, this dog became my safe place and really opened up my heart to love. And a few months after getting this dog, it is, I don't know, several months into COVID, 
you know, all our lives are stopped and we're having a lot of the conversations that I'm sure so many people around the world are having of like, when is this going to end? All of a sudden, all the engines of school and church and all the things that like made so much sense about our life when they were all silent because the world had shut down. It gave us a chance to really say like, God, like, what do you want out of us? And, um, my husband, God bless him, had wanted to move to the country for years before this, but that did not fit my plan. And so that was never even a consideration. Like I remember being annoyed at him for looking at houses. And even at this point, he finds a house and all I can think about is this Kelly say yes. And so I said, yes. And we sold um, our house. We lived in a very nice suburb um, north of Atlanta. We moved to a no stoplight town um, on the Atlanta, Alabama or Georgia, Alabama border to believe that there was something good um, for us in this adventure. And like, really, you could you could do this about anything, right? Like you list pros and cons and, you know, what if this is a horrible decision? Uh, but on the flip side, it's like, or what if this is God's great adventure? What if his goodness meant for us to see his creation? What if he wanted us to steward the land? And what if he wanted us to see things be born and things die? And what if that was his most beautiful, gentlest, like kindest way of shepherding our children and our own hearts and learning to worship him? And so like, I am still so in the middle of this journey and what God really wanted me to know was like, there is so much more. It's almost like the rich young ruler. And I did not feel like we were rich in any way, but like sell your things and go. My safety was so found in pleasing people and doing the right thing and kind of having this tidy life I could control. And the decisions that God asked me to make threw those things out the window. But the reality is, is that like my safety lies in him. And so my life looks different now um, over these past few years, because I think for the first time, I have decided to give Jesus my life. If this episode moved you, feel free to like, subscribe, and share, and join us every other Thursday. Also, if you'd like to share your testimony, please email us at info at And as always, may God bless you. And may the Spirit fill you. 